Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of CivCast. I am your host, Kyle, joined by my co-host, Dan. Hello, Dan. Hey, Kyle. Uh, on a cold day, are you a tea guy or a coffee guy? I am always a coffee guy, always 100% guy. of the time. How about yourself? I think I'm a coffee guy, but I mean, I do have a bit of a pension for the German industrial tea complex uh, ever since I lived in Europe. So I'm slowly starting to get into tea. I always find it gets me a little bit more jazzed up for the day Ooh. if it's caffeinated tea than coffee does. I feel like coffee makes you like, it makes your brain awake, but the rest of your body stays pretty stagnant. Uh -huh. Whereas with tea, whereas with tea, I find it gets me the, the whole effect, the whole body effect. You will. Interesting. I uh, I have not not experienced that with tea myself. That's why I'm uh, sticking to my coffee. But I might have to give that a try. I hope that with both of our cups and coffee of coffee in hand, that we are awake enough and ready to go and talk about all things Civilization Six on this week's episode. Because Dan, we've got some stuff to recap. We've got some changes to the Civcast challenge just for this week, since we've got the holidays around the corner. Uh, you and I have also been up to a couple different games of Civ. Thank goodness I'm going to have some more time um, as we lead up, lead up to Christmas and lead up to, to New Year's. I'm going to have way more time on my hands to get into this game. Uh, and who knows what else and wherever else this episode is going to take us. Dan, who and what have you been playing as and doing this week in Civ? Anything, anything worthy of reporting on? Yeah, I actually, had a, um, I'm in the middle of a really fun game with Spain that has led me to um, a greater appreciation of Spain, I think, than I had before. I was really inspired by the historical minute, by the chat we had last week, and uh, I've been playing Spain this week, and I actually think that they are underappreciated and an extremely strong sieve, frankly. So I'd love to talk about them a bit. Excellent. Uh, well, the other thing, I mean, I, I everyone out there can either be very happy or very sad to hear that I'm, I'm getting towards the end of my game as Germany. Um, this is the one that I've been playing a little bit back and forth, but we're going to segue into that later because I'm having a little bit of a boring patch with the domination victory. I mean, it's me up against uh, five other AIs. I've already wiped out one of them, so I'm down to four, but now I'm in that awkward slog of like, I know I'm going to win. The balance of power is like 95% in my favor. Like they only control this tiny amount of power. There's no way they can stop me. Do I continue to invest time in it? But before we do all of that, Dan, I get to pass this to you. Tell us what's up with the CivCast challenge, who's leading and what we're doing this week. Well, this week, I think that, and I'm not going to, I mean, I, I'm not going to like say that this is attributable to anything, but this week we definitely had a few people over the past two weeks who've been submitting their information, their games, and, and posting pictures and stuff on Twitter um, using the hashtag CivCastChallenge. And that's been great. Um, people who are familiar to us, people like uh, Ricky Edy, uh, Rick, the defending champion, Rick TTTN, um, Gus as well was submitting under CivCastChallenge. That being said, we didn't actually see if anyone managed to complete the game. Um, Rick was sharing with us this fantastic kind of um, Twitter uh, you know, this group of Twitter mm -hmm. uh, messages where he was posting uh, pictures of his game and, and guiding us through the process in a very narrative fashion, which he loves doing and which we love seeing. Um, we never did see if he managed to complete his game. Um, and the same could be said for Gus and for uh, Ricky. So what Kyle and I have decided to do, um, we are actually going to extend the Civcast challenge by a week. And we're doing that because 
well, A, we need to see if people have actually completed um, the challenge so that we can um, apportion the points for first, second, and third in completion properly and appropriately. Uh, and also because we want to just kind of, and I mean, look, this is only the third time we've done it. So uh, we can understand if people are still familiarizing themselves with the process and everything. Um, but we need people when they are doing it. And we do know that there are a few people who have signed up for it over the past two weeks who maybe haven't really been um, interacting with it as, as wholly as we would um, like just in order for us to be able to keep track of it. That being said, um, if you are doing it and if you complete it, make sure you tweet your results to us. Use the hashtag SidCastChallenge because that's how we look up completion information. We just hop on Twitter, we hunt down the uh, hashtag and we see who's uh, shared their, their finished results, their finished games with us. Mm -hmm. So we are going to extend this one by um, a week, but in the interest of fun, in the interest of fairness, in the interest that, well, I mean, it's Christmas week, so I'm assuming a lot of people are going to be shut in and uh, enjoying some time with Civ this week. I think we're going to, um, I think we're going to mix it up a bit. I think we're going to add kind of uh, an addendum, an add-on Civcast challenge, Ooh, if you will, this week. Fancy. Yeah. Yeah, so what we're going to do, folks, is we are going to get you to um, play a quick game. So I want you to uh, play a game on online speed. Um, I'm going to say fractal maps so that it, it, it surprises you. Um, so fractal map is pretty uh, pretty unpredictable, and I think that that would, be, that would be fun for us to do at this point. I think that we're going to keep the resources standard, the starting position bias standard, all of that. None of that's going to change. Um, but I do want you to put it on online speed so that you can play a really quick game. Um, your victory type, you can, okay, you can go with any victory type, okay? Any victory type that you like. Civ, uh, yeah, I know. So if you want to go for that culture, that culture victory that you've been waiting for for a long time, go for that. If you fall into a culture victory, like I know a lot of people are doing, um, that'll be fine. If you want to go dominate, whatever, whatever you so want to do. Can I point of clarification? So they can lead yeah. on all victory conditions if they'd like. 100%. Leave on all victory conditions, um, except for score. Take out score, because score is boring as hell, and no one is interested in your score victories, frankly. So <laughs> take, <laughs> take those that, off. people of the internet. Yeah, no kidding. So take the score victory off um, for us. And uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yes, the, the sieve. Of course, the sieve. Um, Kyle's been big into Germany these past couple weeks, and our friend Innocentia69 uh, was so high on Germany and sharing with us all of their delightful bonuses. And we see Germany at the top of all these tier lists and everything. So I figured, why the hell not play your quick uh, online speed game this week as Germany? So this is a Germany game with all victory conditions with the exception of score victory enabled. Um, Fractal is your map and you have exactly one week from today to do it. Um, you will be getting the same kind of point distributions for doing um, this challenge. And the hope is, I mean, that this challenge will only take you like, you know, what should this take them? Like three or four hours, roughly, Kyle? I would say so. I think it really depends on how, uh, yeah, if, if you're racing towards the end, I, I would I would think you could probably do it close to that time. I mean, especially looking at some of the scores that people have been doing in the past. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I put a lot of time into my latest uh, online speed game, but that's because I wasn't racing towards anything. You know, I was taking mm -hmm. it casually and tangenting over here and doing that but if you're if you're gunning for one specific victory type you're probably going to be able to do it in i would say four hours roughly yeah good uh, that makes sense then so 
if you've got a few hours to dedicate to an online speed game, you maybe haven't tried out Germany or you really want to um, you know, see which direction you can point them in that's most effective or most efficient with them, give this CivCast challenge a shot. And as always, as we've talked about, please tag um, on Twitter the hashtag CivCastChallenge so we can keep track of your completion. You can also add your completion stats to Reddit. We're always checking the uh, CivCast subreddit, which is r slash Civ underscore cast, I believe, Kyle. I, I, don't think it has, uh, I don't think it has the underscore. I think it's just um, CivCast. Checking it right now. Civca, okay. No but underscore with this one. No underscore. Okay, r slash CivCast. So please, uh, please share it on there if you like as well. We'll track it. And next week, we will give points for, uh, hopefully, to a lot of people, um, we will give points for both uh, completed Civcast challenges. Wow, yeah, I'm looking at the leaderboard up there, too. That's pretty cool. Uh, so big thanks to our friend Rick Eady and Dan, as always. Thank you for running this really cool challenge. So um, everyone, you're going to get to experience the might of Germany. I, I've been having a lot of fun with them, Dan. I know that they were ranking in at the top of some of those lists lately as a very powerful Civ. I didn't even really think about them for a while until you had mentioned it on the show, actually, calling out that list. And that's when I really decided to give Germany a shot. I mean, that that um, extra uh, military policy slot and the awesome power of the Hansa makes for some really, really, really cool gameplay. You're going to be a hugely industrial sieve just pumping out units. So have fun, everyone. Uh, Merry, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Go destroy the world in Civilization VI because... I know I yeah. did, and oh, Dan, I have pictures to post. Did Have you launched a thermonuclear device in Civ Six yet? I haven't. The one game that I got deep enough to do that on um, was a game where I was going to Science Victory, and I was fine. Like, I, I, had, I had no need to. Oh, my God. Um, in Civ Five, you know, there's a nice little explosion when you drop a nuke or an atomic bomb. Huh? Yeah, it's nice. It's fancy. Okay, you get the same thing in this one when you drop an atomic bomb. Great. Yeah, all good. When you drop a thermonuclear bomb, it is a whole different ball game. That explosion takes up the majority of the screen. And if you're someone that is trying to decimate your enemy, it will bring you great joy uh, in, in watching that. And boy, is the contamination, the fallout in this game. Oh, it is. Very, very dangerous to deal with. So, everyone, you have a very white Christmas if you get the reference. <laughs> yeah, and you got to make sure that if you if you manage to drop the thermonuclear device somewhere and you're playing as Rome, keep some of those uh, keep some yes. of those Roman legions around. You can you can clean up the fallout with them and get that zero point one percent or whatever it is. Um, achievement where you where you clean Fallout with a, a Roman Legion. I forget what it's called, but it, it was one of the ones we talked about last week, and it would be fantastic to see someone get that. It would. You know, I, I think I might know why that's so hard. And someone, if, if someone that's better with movement per turn and stuff like that, like all the, the terrain stuff might tell me I'm a bit wrong here, but when you stand on contamination, I noticed it was doing 50 points of damage per turn, um, I believe. And I could be wrong here or there, and it could also deal with the speed of the game, too. But So when I was on online speed, and I was having my German modern um, armor, so tanks rolling through, it was doing 50 points of damage per turn. It would end up destroying my tanks, like just trying to position them near a city. So I could see why that's so difficult. I mean, if you... If your Roman legion can't move on to that tile of contamination and clean it in the same turn, it could be very, very tricky. I don't, I don't know. Uh, good luck to everyone out there with that. Please let us know if you're able to pull that one off because I want to see it. 
Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine how that would be. I guess you have to clear the contamination pretty much entirely and then get the Legion to clean it up at the very end. Maybe. I, I don't know. I get, I, I don't, yeah, I'm not sure how this works because, like, so you have to, it'd be one of those things where I guess you'd have to use a movement point to move on to that. Because if you, what happens is you get hit with that damage once you've stayed on that tile. When you end your turn, with a unit in that contamination, that's when they get hit, when that turn is ended and processed. So mm-hmm. I guess you'd have to maybe, if you had a road through some contamination, maybe you could move your Roman legion into the contamination in one turn and also have a point left over to clean the contaminants, and then it would be gone, and maybe that's how you get it. Because if he stands in that gunk, he's dead. Dead, dead, <laughs> dead. No way. <laughs> All right, well, I am I am. Pretty darn curious to see if any one of our uh, followers, friends, or listeners manages to pull that bad boy off. That or any of the other fantastic ones we were talking about last week. There are we have we didn't see any posts or anything to that effect this week. But remember, if you achieve one of these outstandingly difficult, crazy, badass challenges uh, and achievements, please be sure to let us know. Yeah, tweet a picture right away. We're uh, at civ underscore cast on Twitter. Send that picture out. I'm going to be posting some of my crazy nuclear uh, disasters. But maybe this is a good segue into this topic. Um, so I wanted to touch on briefly my thoughts of domination games, just just as a little casual back and forth, because I'm always the type of guy that plays a domination victory. I always, that's just my go-to. And in Civ Five, the other challenges didn't really catch me. But in Civ Six, I'm thinking of trying some new things, Dan, and, and here's why. Right now, I'm locked in this um, kind of the last hour, I would argue, of this game of uh, of Germany. So I still need to take the capital from the Aztecs, and I still need to take the Roman capital. Now, Rome, I've nuked all of his cities minus the capital. I just found it. It was very hard to get through all the contamination to get there. But I'm at this awkward point where... I know I've won. The balance of power is totally in my favor. What do I do now? Like, is it worth... I guess it's worth completing it just to get the achievement and say oh you know i actually completed this game but what what do you where do you stand on things like that dan like do you get enjoyment out of a game if you know you've already done it like do you feel like you need to complete the extra few steps or are you content on your own i do think that is something that i see um it's pretty symptomatic in science victories too I mean, i don't know how many times you've gone uh pretty deep in on a science victory but i have found a lot of the time um you know, once you stave off those kind of medieval era um, and early era, even ancient era invasions, um, the AI doesn't really um, try to blitz you later on in the game. And um, if you see that you're just churning out um, new techs every like two or three turns, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that you're going to win with a science victory. And then mm-hmm. you check the scoreboard and you see that, you know, you are significantly ahead of any other Civ in terms of, um, you know, technologies researched i find that um i I know exactly what you're saying uh for me i I don't always go for domination victory so it's Mm -hmm. tough to say but with science victories which is usually my preferred uh victory path just because i enjoy doing it it's it's really fun and it requires a lot of city maintenance and it requires a lot of um kind of internal um districting and internal control and stuff uh I find that that can definitely be a foregone conclusion early. And I'm curious if you think there's anything they can do to maybe 
spice it up in those instances. Like, it, I mean, I guess in, in the instance of like a domination game where you're just steamrolling everybody, it would almost kind of have to be like they have this backdoor Deus Ex Machina kind of thing in the game to 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 help the other sieves right. out. I don't know. And okay, so yes, I, I love. Thank you for setting me up for that because it's a really, really great point that you bring up here. How to fix it. Um, I, uh, this week I'm going to spend a lot of my free time trying some different games here. One of the things, and I'll talk about this later in the show that I want to do is start trying out some more of the community mods that are cropping up. There is one out there that I, I can't remember the name of it. I should have had this ready, but it's something like it eases the level of difficulty within the game. I think that the goal of the mod, if I'm even talking about the correct thing, is that it slowly makes the AI a little bit stronger over time. Um, if I'm just talking out my butt and that's not a real thing, I apologize to everyone. But I swear I've seen this on, um, I think it was Civ Fanatics, and I think it was even on that PC Gamer list that I posted on Twitter a few weeks back. But in Civ Five, I remember that there were a couple games, some of my favorite games in memory, is when I was going too crazy on the Warmonger train. And this is in the time, I think this is... Um, uh, I think this was after uh, what's what was the one after Gods and Kings Brave New World. I think it was Brave in Brave New World. World that when you had that fancy World Congress that was all tweaked and updated and working well, uh, I they would do a huge joint declaration of war on me. So I remember there was a game where I was next to like Sweden or something, and or it was Denmark, I think, and I was bullying them, something like that, and uh, the whole world basically turned on me and they all declared war on me at once which again the ai wasn't super powerful it was an ocean map so their fleets were pretty repellable uh but still i give them kudos for trying i'm feeling like in civ 6 we're i'm not really getting waves of attackers i admit i'm still playing on king difficulty so you can all like call me out on that but now that i'm at the end of this i'm definitely ready to go up in difficulty because I don't feel like this is currently challenging me and I wish the AI was being a little bit more proactive about it. No, I can co- I completely excuse me, I can completely get on board with that. I think that maybe there needs to be I mean you can always adjust the AI. You can scale it so that in later game the AI is even more aggressive. And actually I think that would be fantastic. I think that mm-hmm. I mean the AI is so hyper aggressive early game. We all know those you know, those um, surprise wars with warriors and archers and early cav and stuff. And that's fine. But how cool would it be if the AI was as aggressive in the late game and you got, you know, a surprise war declared on you from, I don't know, uh, the Americans, for instance, and you just, they invade you with P-51 Mustangs and like, uh, you know, um, early infantry and stuff like that would be, I think, really cool. And I wonder if that is something that they could consider angling towards later on because, the foregone conclusion games, um, mm-hmm. which you get sometimes against AI, those you're right, Kyle. Those aren't, pardon me, those aren't always uh, the most fun, the most fun games, frankly. And domination and science, I think, are the ones that um, are the most likely to fall into that trap. Yeah, I, I agree. And now you 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 talked um, that science victory up. That that's probably the next type of game I'm going to play, um, unless I, well. 
we can use this to move on to the next topic and say the next sieve I really want to get into is going to be the Aztec, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And just <laughs> Dan and I were talking about this off air. As a reminder to everyone, today, I believe, which is Sunday, the uh, December 18th, marks about 58 days since we first got Civ 6 in our hands. So for anyone that did not pre-order the game that still has the Aztecs as a locked DLC that they cannot access, you're getting closer. Um, so in about two days, you're just going to be so you're about 32 days away from getting the game right now or I'm sorry getting the Aztecs in your game right now um super excited to try them on one of those new snowflake maps that Fraxis added um I played a quick a very very quick uh like an hour's worth of a game on a snowflake map and when I did it I noticed that there the barbarians seemed to really be crazy aggressive in that game I was always fending off a barbarian attack but I really like the setup of these snowflake games. Um, every sieve starts on a, you know, like a long tendril of an, uh, like a peninsula and you're moving towards the center. Cause that's where there's like a bulk of resources. All the city States are in these little islands in between the arms of the sn- uh, snowflake sticking out. So yeah. it's got this really cool feel. I think the Aztecs are going to be interesting there cause they've got the early game, uh, units out there, the Eagle warriors, I believe. And they're going to, you know, capture some builders and stuff or, or capture enemy units make them into builders and uh you know hopefully it'll be some interesting times i guess i'm i'm, I'm curious to see how that goes but i also if i'm going to try science victory want to go for the congo who i think we're going to talk about a little bit later yeah i would love to talk about the congo i uh, played a bit with them right now and i also uh, to, rather this week and i also did some studying up on them and yeah. I gained some appreciation of them for sure. Do you maybe want to do you do you, you want to talk about Congo now or do you want to hold that off? Up to you, Dan. Well, I think we teased it. Yeah, let's, let's talk. do it. Let's talk Congo because I like them. I played. I think they might have been the one I played an hour with, but so far, loving them. So, what was it like for you, Dan? It's cool. I think that the one thing I learned about the Congo that I had sort of seen um, in a game against them is that their uh, unique unit is pound for pound um, probably the strongest early, um, because they're they're a classical era melee unit, right? And they're called, and I know I'm going to butcher this, but like the Nagao Mbeba, they are pound for pound to me the best, probably the best early game unique unit out of any of these civs in the game. I remember in the game I was playing against them, they stood out to me so strongly because he invaded me with like, I want to say four of them maybe. And I had, I think, yeah, I know. I think I had five archers and like one or two, um, uh, warriors. And I thought to myself, well, archers are OP against everything. I'm not afraid of any of this. Mm -hmm. And you know, I've got a few warriors to clean up the mess if I need to. Well, the archers do jack all to them. They do nothing. (laughs) to these Nagawa Bebas. Because if you look at them, they're holding these enormous body-sized um, shields. So, yeah. you know, logic dictates that, you know, an arrow is going to just knock off that thing harmlessly. And um, the, uh, what was I going to say? And they get plus 10 combat strength from defending against ranged attacks. That is just one of their bonuses. So the, this whole OP ranged attack archer meta that's kind of going on right now, which I completely believe and, and buy into, I think that's completely correct. Yeah. I think the Ngaon Beba is um, a unit that, that inherently counters that in a really fantastic way. And also, um, one-on-one, they they knock warriors around pretty strongly and they knock swordsmen around as well. I know that they replace the swordsmen for the Congolese. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, to me, when I had a swordsman go up against one, I think that it was kind of a saw off. I think it was like a, a relatively even fight. Um, the one unit that I didn't manage to send against them was cavalry. So in the rock, paper, scissors, um, you know, military <laughs> style, right. I would imagine that cavalry is probably quite strong against them. Um, but, you know, it takes time to get cavalry because you got to get to horseback riding and it has a higher production cost early game. and You need to have horses and yada, yada. So long story short, to me, pound for pound, the Ngao Mbeba is, is better than the Eagle Warrior. Um, and it's better really than any of these um, early game uh, unique units that I have seen or interacted with on any kind of large scale. Can I add in here, though I agree with you completely that they are stronger than the Eagle Warrior, I played, uh, they were, yeah, of course, the game I played with uh, the the Congo there, I, the Aztecs were on my border. So we were both mm. very, uh, very much in the jungle, which was cool, but... Of course, we were neighbors, and me using the Nagao Mamemba Mamemba unit, it was <laughs> good effort. Yeah, I'm trying, everyone. I'm trying. Yeah, uh, trying. Taking them up against the Eagle Warriors was a little bit depressing. Like, yes, they are stronger, but not that much. Like, I was he he was kind of getting me with numbers there, and I was using them in, in like combination with archers, so I had that going for me, but. Boy, you know, when the Eagle Warriors do clash with them, you'll find that uh, your health is kind of on the line. Um, So I'm I'm curious. I really want to play both the Congo and the Aztecs right now, um, if for nothing else, just to take them up against one another again and see how that showdown goes. Oh, I think that would be fantastic. And one other thing I got from that Congo game, um, their civ ability is Nikisi. And Nikisi gives you bonus food production and gold from each relic, artifact, and great work of sculpture. Um, I got, I found the um, Shroud of Turin, which is one of the Ooh. earliest game um, relics. I can't remember if it's a relic or an artifact. Um, probably an artifact. No, it can't be an artifact. It's got to be a relic. I'm an idiot. Um, but I found that really early on in the game. And that gave me plus two food. Um, plus two production and plus four gold really early on in the game. Um, and that was that was a life changer for me in that That's game. That yeah, stumbling lot. on that early game, that allowed me to pump out a lot of my own Galbebas and go and conquer Amsterdam, which is right on my doorstep, um, which is the first city-state that kind of fell under my sword. So I actually really quite like the Congo. I think they're an early game beast. Yep. Um, and one other thing that deserves mentioning... Um, the Umbanza, uh, mm-hmm. it gives you, it gives you uh, I mean, it replaces the neighborhood. So it's a later game thing. So you might think to yourself, you know, the Congolese are really only an early game sieve. But, it, you know, Firaxis have managed to balance that out quite well with the Umbanza because that gives you plus five housing, yeah. um, plus four gold and plus two uh, food. And, and And you get that after you research guilds, which isn't that far into um the tree no, it's so not. it is a, it is a great um unique district i think and, and we'll really i mean it's not you know they're a military-based civ and that's not a military-based uh, you know building mm-hmm. but i mean it, it allows you to kind of look more kind of long-term and later on in the game with them and still have them be viable totally does and you have to figure you know a, a neighborhood which we're saying the mambanza replaces those depending on your city, can be something you slap down a lot of. You know, so mm-hmm. to get plus two food and plus four gold for each of those basically neighborhood districts you're putting down, that's a lot. And and you're right, you know, I'm, I'm looking here at the Civwikia, and it's saying that, um, yeah, it comes with guilds instead of urbanization. So 
you could theoretically have these bigger cities going uh, way earlier on in the game. So that's yeah, oh, man. Yeah. You, and they look really cool too. Aesthetically, they're 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 quite beautiful. Um, the way that Fraxis designed them, so props for that as well. Boy, I really would like to do. Um, I I don't know. Maybe there's something I can tweak in the uh, climate settings for the game. But I'm wondering how fun uh, the Congo would be on a snowflake map if you could tweak it to have like a heavy rainforest area. Um, do they wait? Do they get rainforest bonuses? I might be making that up. I know that they're like a. Or do, is it their unit that gets some sort of bonus through the forests or something? Yeah, the Ungaon Beba doesn't have uh, movement impediments or movement penalties for moving through rainforest or wood tiles. Got it. Tiles. So that would yeah. be cool. I mean, you would yeah. that would be, oh my gosh, actually, yeah, going up there on a snowflake, if the center of that map were all like rainforest at that time, you know, not having the movement penalty, that would allow those units to just rip through other AI like crazy. That'd be very, yeah. very fun. And if you're fortunate enough, like I was, to have um, a, a civilization with kind of a, a religious um, focus on your border, like I had Arabia on my border, well, I mean, the religious convert leader bonus just works wonderfully because then they just start, you know, sending out their missionaries super early like Arabia did. And I'm just I'm just welcoming them with open arms because oh, yeah. I get their founder belief, right? Yeah, and I, I think their founder that, belief... I think their founder belief was plus production for quarries one. And I know I had one or two quarries. And so I was like, yeah, you know, so I was turning into a, a very efficient um, production uh, and food focused sieve. And it was allowing me to, to pump out these Ngaon Bebas. And really, I, I had a really fun time with them. I'd highly encourage um, anyone who maybe hasn't tried them to give them a look. Yeah, um, I, I think I think the other maybe my last note on this just personally is since I'm not that big religion player, they are a very hands-off sort of thing in that way because they can't found their own religion. So they get the, right? Yeah, they can't found their own. They get all the perks correct. that come yeah, through. That's so plus also, I don't really remember this, but the uh, I guess they get a great artist and great merchant point per turn. So yeah. that's, that's a pretty that's cool. Helpful. That's it's awesome. Helpful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, this this brings up a point here, and I think this might be the perfect place to insert this. I have been really focusing on great merchants and great engineers in my games. All the other ones I kind of let go by let go by the wayside just because I haven't been focusing too much on science or culture or anything like that to the point that I feel like I need great scientists or great artists or whatever. But I have gotten to that point many a times recently, and I, I'm, I'm sure some of our listeners have too, where I'm actually exhausting the supply of great engineers and great merchants that are out there. You know, it, it actually blocks that segment off. It says, you know, there's just no more to come. Have you had that happen yourself, Dan? No, I haven't. Although great engineers have got to be the best of the um, great people in the game, I would I would say, I mean, if you look at some of the bonuses you get oh from some of these God. guys, it's crazy. They are. Like later on in the game. And I mean, you've got some of the really famous ones that are fun to get, like Nikola Tesla, mm -hmm. um, where regional buildings provide plus two production to reach three tiles farther for districts. And Gustav Eiffel, who gives you just this huge steroid for wonder production. But there's some, there's some really kind of cool, more obscure ones, people who I hadn't necessarily heard of. Um, someone like Jane Drew, who's an atomic age great engineer, you gain plus three housing and plus four amenities Ooh, in, the oh, yes. in, the, in the city. And I mean, I mean, I think we've talked about how we love how there's just so much depth to the great people system in this game. And I think that great engineers um, are always the ones that people um, appreciate the most just because they allow you to just pump out a wonder or really um, 
increase your production exponentially in one turn. But now you get some of these great people who add just um, completely different things like that amenity and housing bonus I was talking about there. Um, I think that's just really cool. Yeah. And, and I also want to um, encourage people. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the great merchant era or the great merchants as well, because mm-hmm. I find that they really, really, really work well hand in hand. Uh, the great merchants, and I, I encourage people to play a strategic game when going for your great people. Know the ones that you know the merchants and know the great people of your choice. Know the ones that you do not want to get, so that you can pass on them accordingly, and also that you can rush the ones that you really want. Because some of the great merchants are better than others. For example, I love the ones that give bonus trade routes because a bonus trade route can really shift a game in a different direction depending on your current station in it like i mean that could theoretically be an extra 20 gold per turn that you either have or another sieve gets if you're not fast enough to do it um also you know there's things like getting additional envoys um copies of things like toys makeup there's all these uh unique oh perfume there's unique um what's that is it a bonus resource i guess it is um because they're not Making sure, hold on one second. Uh, it is a unique luxury resource when you do perfume or toys or things like that. And just being able to have that to trade to other civilizations can can make a big difference. Um, so it's it's been a super fun game. I'm just finding it a bit odd when I'm at, so touching on my Germany game again, I'm at this point where I'm almost ready to, to destroy these last two civs. I've already got all the great merchants and great engineers that exist in this world. So, like, what what else is is pushing me forward? And and this is again, I always say, calling out to the modding community. I'm I'm really excited to hopefully see some additional mods come in this area because um, I'm sure that people can be super creative with their great merchants and things that they can put into the game. Uh, so I'm fingers crossed that that's a, a thing that Fraxis gives people access to, and it's easy to do because I could see a lot of fun coming out of that down the road, especially with some of these great generals and admirals too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you talked about getting the the increased, uh, not, not not the increased trade route, the the free trader or whatever. Like mm-hmm. you get a trade route for producing um, a, a great economist or great merchant, rather. Pardon me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I love how now with this really kind of specific and unique great people system, there are certain great people who you really zone in on. I know that um, in my uh, Spain game, which I've gotten really far on. I got Marco Polo, and Marco Polo's got in the medieval era. He's got to be probably the best great oh, merchant yeah. <laughs> because he gives you a free trader unit. And I know he increases your trade route capacity as well. And he's just—he's one of those great people who um, is just fantastic to get because they just have such a wonderful bonus. Um, but yeah, with regards to great generals and great admirals, um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of generally look at them as more advantageous with their. Um, combat strength uh, adjacency bonuses. So I I don't always expend them um, because I like keeping them around to give that plus five combat strength to the units that are adjacent. Is is that generally what you do as well? It it is. You know what? I I take a good look at them and it's one of those on the fly sort of things. So one thing to pay attention to if you're not familiar with this system already uh, is they have that What's the word for this? I'm drawing a blank here, everyone. They have a only like a certain time period that they're useful in. For example, you know, they can only it's like, oh, it'll buff people in the Renaissance era and the medieval era. But once you're past that, once you have a unit from a different era, it no longer helps out. So I try to 
decide when to retire them as based on like what's actually happening. If I'm upgrading my units to an era that's out of their, you know, ability to buff, then it's a great time to retire them. Uh, there, I think that there's one of those guys that gives you like an extra envoy or something, like a great general that does an envoy. Um, sometimes I'll pop that one right away because it's like, well, if I'm, especially if I'm not already fighting a military battle, you know, maybe I just got some of those points from producing units or something like that. Um, it's very, very situational for me, but I think that's, I think that they're much, much, much improved from Civ Five. I love, to the point that how you're using them, I love that you can now see the aura, like the distance of where their effect goes to. Um, so now you don't have to guess and be like, well, is this guy in, in range of it? it? In the last game, it felt very hands-off and it felt like hidden stats. In this one, they kind of like throw it to the forefront. Like as soon as you click on them, you get that little silver lining around what hexes he's actually affecting, which I think is awesome. Yeah, 100%. That's very helpful. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I, I think that's all I have to really say about these guys. But I'm just I'm just really, really, really digging that system. It's just been a lot of fun to try and race the other AIs to do it. Um, I, I, I don't know. This whole game is kind of about, like, racing to a desti destination and seeing how it affects your sieve. And I have to give major props. I mean, I think there's they've put a lot of very tantalizing things in front of us. There's a lot of things dangling to, uh, to play with. And... Maybe that's a decent enough segue into the mod highlight of the week. This is something I saw um, Quill18 post about on Twitter. But he, I guess, came up with the idea for um, additional lenses to be added as a mod. And uh, I think the mod's actually called, like, additional lenses. I have a tweet set to go out and, and, and give people a link to it today. But um, more lenses, basically, what it does, it just adds in lenses that'll show you wonders on the map. It will show you, I think, um, your units. I think it shows potentially people that need upgraded. Like, it's just all these nice, very non-cheating, non-overpowered things that, you know, now you just have access to that you didn't before. Because I don't know about you, Dan, but when I'm staring at a game of Civ for you know, a couple hours, some things definitely start to fade into the background for me, and it'll be like, oh, especially spies are a great example of that. I will not recognize that I have a spy on a certain tile because they blend in, they go a little incognito, their symbol kind of gets darkened and grayed, and I kind of lose them. And uh, when you get that tunnel vision going, I think a mod like this, the more more lenses, just helps in that sense. It just makes everything a little bit easier. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, I haven't played around with lenses as maybe I should because the lenses are, are really cool, actually. And uh, it's a different kind of way to ramp up your aesthetic, but also give you more information. And that's what um, Innocentius was talking about the other day was um, just the more information that's not hidden, the more information that is available to you and present, the better. I totally, totally, totally agree with that. Also, um, wanted to call out that we did get a, a, a question for Innocentius on our Reddit page. I'm going to shoot that over. Um, I don't think I – maybe I have this pulled up. One second. Let's see here who sent this in. Uh, looks like Yonker on our, uh, Civcast page was asking, um, for some, sorry, I'm reading and talking at the same time, everyone, bad radio, but anyway, he was asking how to optimize the start of the game for a culture victory, because he was trying to get the pizza party achievement, so, oh, cool. um, very cool. we're going to take this question, I'm going to give it a little bit more time here over the week, we're going to get this over to Innocentius, get his thoughts if he's available to answer, and we'll get your question answered for you, and hopefully we can chat about that maybe next week on the show, 
also, Dan, speaking of, you and I need to chat offline because next week, next Sunday, is actually going to be Christmas Day. Um, so we're going to have to find a time that we're going to do this extra episode. But I think fret not, everyone. You're going to have an episode. You got a bonus episode last week. Maybe we should talk about that, too, because, Dan, you and I sat for a half an hour and talked uh, all about Philip II a second time around. So you did your historical minute on last week's show all about him, and then we talked for 30 minutes all about Philip. Maybe you want to yeah, give a recap? Sure, it was really fun. I had a lot of fun with that. I think that um, with Philip, uh, there's a lot to know about him. There's a lot of information out there about him. Um, and I just wanted to share with people some of my, some of the knowledge I had specifically about him and the Spanish Armada and talk a little bit more about how um, cool he is. And it, by the way, if people ever have any questions um, with regards to our historical minute, you can always send them in. I would always love to um, help people, whether it's, it's recommend... Um, books for them, recommend online resources for them as it pertains to these historical figures. I'm always on board with that. Um, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to the Historical Minute, um, it's on the main podcast feed. Please give it a download. Please give it a listen and give us some feedback. Let us know what you think. Yeah, I'd love to hear hear people's thoughts because we had a blast. We went in there, Dan. You and I were saying we're going to talk for 15 minutes or something like that. And I remember halfway through it, I sent you a message like, holy crap, we're close to we're getting close to 30 minutes on this show or we're already over the 15 minute mark. We just had a blast talking about history because that's what we're into. So I we hope you guys like it as well. And Dan, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you've been playing Spain in the game as of late? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've had a lot of fun with Spain. I think that you and I talked about how Spain was a sieve that I don't think was necessarily thought of that highly, um, certainly on tier lists and stuff like that. I know that they were sort of near the bottom. And you've had a few run-ins with them in your England games, right? Oh, I did. They were always uh, always one-upping me when it came to getting like caravels early in the game. Like I was always a step behind. So Philip mm -hmm. always thwarts me. But not an old, like an overwhelmingly powerful sit. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, no, that's that's fair. He's very like he in those games especially. He always played up some sort of situational bonus, not necessarily religion, but for him it was like, oh, I'm going to have a very strong navy and and kind of knock Kyle out of the naval game, <laughs> which is hard to do when you're playing England. But yeah, I, I do think. This game I've been playing this week with Spain, I've had a lot of fun with, and I do think that he is very situational. I think that first and foremost, you have to be able to found a religion. I think that if you can't found a religion with Spain, you're pretty toast because El Escorial, his leader bonus, um, it gives you plus four combat bonus versus units um, of factions following other religions. And I was playing a continents game and I was on a, a pretty small continent um, and I was sharing it with India and Russia. And both those sieves are kind of, ex well, India is not very expansionist, actually. Russia certainly is. But in India here, this guy was forward settling the crap out of me, and it was pissing me off. But I was fortunate enough to found Catholicism um, in Madrid. And so I had Catholicism in my four main kind of continental cities. And both Russia and India declared war on me at some oh. point or another. Um, and both of them actually were following a different religion. And, um, you know, India was sending the Varus, the, the elephant units, and Russia was sending um, uh, crossbowmen and chariot archers and stuff. And I really found that that plus four combat strength bonus against units following um, other religions saved my bacon pretty heavily here. I mean, I was able to repel both of them. At one point, both of them simultaneously, just because I had this kind of like extra bonus for my, um, at this point I had knights um, and for my uh, crossbowmen as well. So I thought that was quite fantastic. Um, 
I, I founded a city on another continent and um, I was able to set up my first mission there. And Ooh. the missions, of course, uh, yeah, I know this was really fun to do um, because the mission is Spain's unique building and it gives you plus one faith and plus one science. Um, but if you found it on a different continent, you get plus two faith and plus two science. And that bonus, especially in the faith department, was huge. And it was really fun too. They're really cool looking buildings. And on that second continent, I, I propped up my first city there and I, uh, I built a mission there in that first city. I made it, it's, it's a very, uh, very stereotypically Spanish kind of colonization feel to it, but I had a lot of fun with it. It was, um, it's really good. I don't think they're by any means overpowered, like someone like Germany is, Right. but I think they're super fun to play. They're, uh, they're pretty versatile of so long as you found a religion. If you found a religion, you're going to be able to really um, get a lot of benefits from them and they're going to be really versatile. Um, I think they would probably gear more towards um, a religious victory than anything else. But I would highly encourage anyone who wants to try a sieve that's really, um, I don't know, it just feels really, feels really diverse in their play style. Yeah. And it's just really fun. I had a lot of fun. I it, it seems to like, a yeah, it seems like they're super versatile like that. And I would love to try them as that, uh, that colonial style game. So I might have to to put Spain on my list as well, because um, because you've been raving about them, and I every time I hear it, I get very very excited. So I think that's up. Uh, let's see, Congo, Aztec, Spain. We'll we'll say he's like third on my list of of civs to play. So uh, let let's hope I have some time for that this week. Hopefully, um, especially after we talked about him forever in the past week. You know, I feel like I am his best friend at this point. So I uh, need to join him on the battlefield and. See how that religious gameplay is working out. Why not do it with him? Yeah, and it would allow you too to focus on the naval game, which you love, right? I do. He doesn't have he doesn't have a naval bonus. Uh, his start bias does usually put him on the coast. Ah, that well, that's see, that's that's cool. Um, yeah, I, I could totally get into to playing Spain. Um, cool. Speaking of these naval games and Spain and England and all that, do you want to introduce your historical minute of the week? Sure. Um, and this one, this one goes out to you, Kyle, because I'm going to talk about Victoria. I'm going to talk about England. And I am not um, an English historian in any sense, but I mean, everyone knows Queen Victoria. She was until the present Queen Elizabeth, who was Queen Elizabeth II. She was the longest reigning monarch in the history of the English monarchy. She reigned for 63 years and seven months. Um, and her reign was really tumultuous. It was characterized by a lot of different things. I mean, India gained their independence during her uh, reign, and she be, she was no longer the queen of India. She was now the empress of India. And a lot of stuff happened during her reign. It was really important to the future of Britain. I mean, the Industrial Revolution happened during mm -hmm. her reign. But a couple things stand out to me um, about Victoria. Now, in the game, um, the Victoria that's represented is um, a very... I don't know what you want to call her, stereotypically English, courtly-looking young lady. Um, and I guess there was a time in Victoria's life where she was that. But I can't imagine that she, I'll say I can't imagine she looked like that for very long. Because first and foremost, Cal, did you know that Queen Victoria did not even stand five feet tall? I did not know that, no. She was under five feet. She was wow. about four. She was about four eleven. Actually, she was quite small. She was quite tiny, and that actually affected her severely uh, later on in her life. When she she had nine kids, oh. and a woman that short having nine kids, I mean, she hated pregnancy. She said that pregnancy um, and giving birth 
was the quote shadow of uh, life. <laughs> so it wasn't exactly wow. something that she particularly enjoyed, but someone that she did particularly enjoy was her husband. Um, and her husband was of course, Prince Albert, um, who was a German and the English had a propensity to intermarry uh, with those of, um, you know, the, the German, German heritage, mm -hmm. because the Germans were probably um, alongside the English, the most staunchly Protestant of nations. Um, and so she married Albert and he was of Saxe, Coburg and Gotha, who is the, um, the house that would take over the monarchy after Victoria died, of course, and would inherit the monarchy. But their relationship was um, was a, actually a very fantastic relationship. I mean, Victoria loved Albert and doted on him hand and foot. Um, they were married for 21 years, actually, but he died in 1861 of typhus. And when he died, um, she went into a very, very severe and very long period of mourning that actually lasted 25 years. And when I say mourning, Victoria actually went into seclusion for 25 years. There was an entire generation of the English population who grew up without, you know, once seeing um, a picture or seeing um, or, or hearing of their monarch in public because she went into um, private seclusion uh, in the throes of her grief. And it, I mean, that is a long, like 25, 25 years is longer than, yeah, is longer than most of these monarchs reign. That's wow. longer than most of their reigns. I, like, I am, I'm 25 years old at the moment. So my entire exactly. life, she would have been hidden away. Exactly. But I mean, her legacy in, in England is, is, is famous. I mean, Commonwealth countries, such as I live in Canada, we still celebrate Victoria Day as, well, we don't celebrate it. Really, it's just a holiday for us Woo! that most people don't really understand the background story to. But of course, Victoria Day um, was put in place to celebrate her birth um, after she was dead. So, you know, her legacy in the Commonwealth and in Britain is still a very strong. I mean, she was the first um, sovereign of England to visit France in over four centuries when she visited there in the 1860s. Wow. And um, she was, yeah, she, she was beloved at the time. Um, of course, she reigned for so long that the public opinion of her ebbed and flowed. Mm -hmm. um, and it really kind of ebbed and flowed depending on what prime minister was in power. I mean, she loved Benjamin Disraeli, who was a conservative, but she was not such a big fan of William Gladstone, who was a liberal. Um, so it ebbed and flowed depending on the, you know, on the House of Commons and the prime minister and everything. But Victoria was a fascinating lady. I highly, highly encourage anybody who wants to enter into the study of British history to start with the Victorian era because so much happens during the Victorian era. And I'm just giving a tiny little snippet of some pop culture, historical stuff about her, but she's a fascinating character and her era, um, although she herself was very stoic and very, um, you know, courtly and regal. Um, the stuff that happens in Britain during her era is fascinating um, because it's, it spans from 1837 to 1901. And um, really that is a, that is a long time where the entire Western world went through some really strong um, and positive upheaval. Wow. That's really cool, Dan. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that's, that's great to know. Jeez. Uh, hey, have you watched the show um, The Crown on Netflix at all by chance? No, I haven't. My wife and I are actually watching. Oh, sorry. You cut out there. What are you watching? Oh, sorry. We're watching, uh, we're watching Downton Abbey right now. Oh, Oh, that's great. 
Yeah, and that's great, but we haven't got to the crown. We're going to get to the crown next. I do hear some really great things about it. I think you would very much enjoy a segue between those two shows. Like, if you guys are still um, on that train of, like, you're you're feeling you want more kind of classical England feel, if you're still wanting that after Downton Abbey, I think it's going to be a great transition because those shows really um, have the same feel. They're both really, really well shot and really well done. I, I found myself actually very, very sad when I wrapped up the first season of The Crown. I was um, the first episode, uh, just my word to the wise, look, get through the first episode. If it doesn't catch you right away, know that it will get better, I think, at the very end of episode one uh, slash the beginning of episode two. So at least give it that long. But I was very addicted to the drama that was happening in there, and I am, like, eagerly awaiting season two of that show. Not just because, you know, I'm enjoying England in this game, but, I mean, that was that was well done no matter what. So uh, to listeners out there, if you're looking for something to watch over the break that's histor- historical, uh, that's a perfect one to check out. It's fun. It's uh, pretty easy to get into. So give it a shot. Uh, let's see. Dan, do we have anything else we need to talk about this week? We've covered so much in such a, a short amount of time here. Um, do we want to maybe touch on the email that Rick sent us and just uh, give him a shout out and thank you for sending us in that email? Uh, yes, I don't have it pulled up right in front of me, though. How? That's totally you? cool. Um, Rick actually shared with us his own kind of little uh, Rick's historical minute. Um, Rick uh, at Rick underscore TTT underscore EN on Twitter. Um, he shared with us last week, we talked about the German industrial tea complex as kind of a joke and you named the episode that and that's yes. really cool and fantastic. And we were being super satirical and sarcastic about it. And then Rick sends us in an email saying that, Hey, you know what guys, that actually exists. There's an area in Northern Germany, um, in East Frisia where there's a very complex and uh, expansive tea tradition, um, that goes back to, uh, trading with, um, you know, uh, I don't know if that goes back to trading with like Java and Sumatra and so forth, but he talks about how this Frisian tea um, is really popular and really famous in uh, in Germany. And he, uh, yeah, he, he shared it with that. And he he makes the joke that the, the Hansa district is a very good match for the Hansaitic East Frisian area and how it should be maybe uh, considered to be a unique building for Germany in the future. So that would be really cool. Um, so thank you for that, Rick. And we encourage people to send us an emails at sivcastpodcast uh, at gmail.com. If you have have any kind of feedback like that, whether it's game related or otherwise. Yes, please do. Um, and now I'm going to have to to call this episode quits because now I got to go check and make sure that my German country, which is spanning the world, has some tea uh, plantation sort of things happening in it. If not, I am letting everyone down and I apologize for it. Uh, FYI for everyone out there that I'm going to be trying to do these games this week. Like I said, I'm going to try to do a couple different things. If you want to hit up a multiplayer game, anyone, um, my Steam is Kyle Dempster 7 Dan, do you want to call yours out if you are available to do anything? Sure. My Steam is Haggis Hands, which is as ridiculous as it sounds. And that is H-A-G-G-I-S-H-A-N-D-S, all one word. And so everyone knows this is going to be in the show notes of the podcast. So if you click on the description through whatever player you're looking at, uh, you will have a, uh, well, at least the name of our Steam usernames and stuff. So find us there. Uh, If you see me in a game, don't be afraid to send over a message like, hey, you want to maybe do a a multiplayer now? Because I would be totally down to do that with some people. One thing that our friend Ricky Eadie shared with us that I didn't even really think about is I had asked him if he was around to play any games. And he shared that there is no cross-platform support yet, and he is on the Mac version. So 
that's a real bummer. Ah, um, it is. Yeah, and that was not the case in Civ Five because I remember distinctly playing on my MacBook when I was traveling for a while, and uh, my friend was on his Windows computer. So hopefully that's a, a quick and easy thing. Also, this reminds me to shout out that there are a couple different deals floating around out there. Um, I have Google Alerts set up for the show, and... Um, just that send me any Civ 6 news, and I've gotten a couple things here or there. I think Firaxis is doing a, uh, a a sort of bundled thing where if you get a different graphics card, it is the season to buy stuff and upgrade the computer. But I think they're doing like a thing where if you buy a graphics card, it might come with Civ 6. I've also seen some sites that I think are discounting it by a percentage or a couple dollars here or there. But, you know, if you're going to buy the game, might as well take advantage of it. Also, if you're buying the physical disc, do keep in mind that there should be a Steam code in there. So fret not, those two things are linked. Uh, you just have to wait the difference of actually getting your hands on a box versus getting a download code. But keep your eyes out for that if you guys are shopping around this season. Um, as mentioned, you know, next week and next Sunday is Christmas. So we're going to figure out our schedule. We'll make sure to put some stuff up on the Twitter page for the people that are looking for that. That is at Civ underscore cast. All the news about the show is up on the website. That's kyledempsterstudios.com backslash civcast. There you will find, um, you just go to that page. Everything's nice there. You can uh, play the episode, the latest one, right from the landing on that page. If you scroll down, there's a link to our Patreon, which we encourage you to get, go check out. We've just got that up and running. There's a video now. So we've got cool content on there that you can subscribe to. Uh, also, we have a link to more information about the CivCast Challenge. It'll remind you to hashtag it with hashtag CivCast Challenge. How many times can I say that in one sentence? Um, it's going to tell you when the periods are running between, like when the actual battles are taking place. It's going to remind you all the victory conditions, so make sure you do that. And if you're a first-time player to the CivCast Challenge, just uh, fill out that little form on that page that tells us, you know, some of your information. That way we can keep a better, cleaner leaderboard um, on the back end and make sure we don't miss any information. Uh, my Twitter is at KyleDempster7. Dan is at DanTheMax. And the show, I already said it a million times, at Civ underscore cast. As Dan just mentioned, our email is civcastpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to give us a five-star review on iTunes, we would love to give you a shout-out. Uh, but, Dan, that is going to take it uh, to the end here. And I guess my last sentiment to leave everyone with is to have a fantastic holiday. Uh, Merry Christmas. And, Dan, anything from you? Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy holidays. Go play a game with the Congo. You will thank us later. You will indeed. Yes. Send us all your screenshots, um, especially, you know, do, do lots of games around the holidays. Enjoy. Do uh, lots. Do lots. Do lots. And until then, just one more turn. You're listening to CivCast on the Kyle Dempster Studios Network. For more shows like this, visit kyledempsterstudios.com.